Hello and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm Ann Gordon here with my friend and Chavruta Yordana Osband. Our daf of the day, Masachet Ketubot, daf Kuf Zion, page 107. Yordana, you know, our seum is coming up. Oh, it is. It's coming up. October 30th. We're going to have an announcement, hopefully, about a good speaker. Uh, so please, please, please register to join us. And the times again, October 30th, 5 p.m. Israel time, 11 a.m. Eastern Seaboard of the U.S. Uh, do the math wherever else you live. Uh, this is about Israel changing the clocks when they do and the United States changing the clocks when they do. So our times are a little bit different from usual, um, but we hope everybody will join us as usual. Okay, I'm starting with the last line on the previous daf because it is the line that we need to carry into the sugya on our daf. This is a quote from the Mishnah, which was at the very end of Kufdalid, page 104, where it says, specifically, we're talking about a case of a man who goes overseas and the wife who remains not overseas is demanding mizonot. She wants sustenance. And now we have to unpack this case. Itamar, Rav Amar. So this is a, the Amarayim are going to debate it. Rav says, excuse me as I turn the page. Rav says, poskin mizonot le'eshet ish. So Rav says that the court's going to give or or um, dedicate, no, that's not the right word, give um, mizonot to the married woman. Meaning the husband went overseas. He didn't provide enough for her while he's gone. So the court's going to take the money out of his estate to provide for her, to make sure that she can eat, basically. Eat, food, uh, clothing, so on. And Shmuel says, no, no. The court does not give mizonot to the married woman. Which is a little bit of a strange statement because, hello, the Mishnah just said that she's asking for mizonot. It seems that she would be getting her mizonot, but Shmuel's got a caveat. Amar Shmuel, modeli abe b'shlosha chadashim arishonim lefisha ein adam meniach beito rekan. So Shmuel says that Abba, meaning Rav, we've talked about this before, that Rav's name was really Abba, um, and he says he says that Rav agrees with him that the court is not going to get involved with the estate for the first three months, meaning he says. A man does not go off to overseas and leave his house entirely empty, you know, so that his wife can't sustain herself. So the claim there is that Shmuel, and he claims that Rav would agree with him or did agree with him, that the wife will be able to sustain herself for at least the short term, the short term being here three months. Three months to me seems like a long time, but perhaps it was not given given travel times in those days, right? Now, the, the question, though, is what is really going on as far as Shmuel's position? The Gemara goes on to say that when they heard that he has died, that the husband has died, uh, meaning the the case is just as we've descri- described, right? He goes to Midinatayam, she asks for Mizorot. Later, they discover that he has died. And at that point, everybody agrees that the court is going to provide for the wife from the estate. He pleaded, but where they do disagree is as follows. During that time when they have not heard that he has died overseas, right? Meaning he's left, but there's no word yet that he has passed away. Rav says that indeed the court is going to provide, you know, assign her the mizonot from the estate because fundamentally she's got to lean on it basically to make sure that she is like, whether he's alive or dead, she's supposed to be able to be provided for. And Shmuel says, Shmuel says, you do not um, assign any to her until there is a clear declaration that he is dead. 
Okay, my Tama. So what is the rationale for Shmuel? I think we understand the rationale for Rav, right? Meaning provide for her because she needs the provision. But what about Shmuel? Rav Zavid Amar Ema Tzerere Atfasa. So again, let's note we're moving moving into Aramaic. We're talking about later generation of Amorim. Um, so Rav Zavid says that you could you could posit that he gave her that his the husband gave his wife a, a bundle of money before he left. And if he did that, then she should still be fine, right? Don't worry about her at this point. Rav Papa Amar Chayshina Shema Amarla Tzima Seyadayech B'Muzanotayech. Rav Papa says no, but what happens if he didn't give her a bundle of money and instead instead said to her, "Use your own earnings from your own, you know, pr- the produce of your own hands to sustain yourself." Meaning, I won't take your masayadaim, and I will give you the mizonot that you would otherwise be entitled to. So he doesn't have to provide support; she can fend for herself. And in in that case, wouldn't Shmuel's ruling make sense that you don't go to the estate? to pay for her because she's already providing for herself either because he's left her a bundle of money or because she's providing herself from, from the actions of her own hands. My Benahi, what's the real difference between these two cases? I mean, they sound different, but in terms of her provision for herself, what's the difference? So the real difference, according to the Gemara, is whether she's an adult. And if she's an adult and he left her the money and the money is not enough or the, or, or the money that she earns, Right, it's not enough. Well, the question then is, you know, if she's an an adult, would you assume he gave her the money? Would you assume that she's going to be providing for her own needs? It's not so clear. Um, whereas Inami Katana Vasafka, if she was a minor, and then you would assume that if she's a minor, then the husband would not have left that money and just assume that the earnings were enough for her. But Rev Zvid would say that the court has to provide for her because he wouldn't have left her enough money. And Rav Papa would argue that he might have indeed said to provide for herself from her own earnings, meaning at some point, the machloket between Rav Zvid and Rav Papa in trying to understand, and trying to interpret, I should say, Shmuel's position that the court does not assign Mizonot to her, it needs to follow through all the way, even if she's a minor or even if she's um, an adult. And that's where you find the, the, the nafkamina, right? The practical difference between them. If she's an adult, then according to Rav Papa, her earnings might not be enough for her. Um, and according to, but Rav Zvid, you might say that indeed he he would have given her that money and vice versa for the katana. So this is basically a machlokas on a machlokas, right? In other words, you have yes. a machlokas of Rav Shmuel and then you have Rav Zvid and Rav Papa having a machlokas on Shmuel. And then what the Gemara does basically for the rest of the top is give a series of sort of uh, Tanaitic proofs that sort of disprove Shmuel's opinion. And Anne and I went through it as we were prepping. We actually counted a series of seven, um, you know, different uh, Bryce's or Tosepta's or Mishnah's where they basically say, like, here's a case. And Shmuel, how does it make sense, according to your opinion, that the our Mishnah in Masachet Ketubot only, only is talking about a case or this halacha is that she only gets sustenance once somebody has come and said that he actually died, once there's some proof that he died. So the Gemara starts off with right? Somebody went overseas and his wife is demanding sustenance. 
אבל מזונה יהבין לי, תרגם השמאל בששמו בו שמי, right? So they quote basically our Mishnah that we have here, okay? And, um, you know, in this machlok is between Hanan and the, uh, and the Bnei Kohanim Gedolim, right? And the Gemara explains that Shmuel basically interprets his Mishnah to mean that this was only on a case where they heard that he had already died, right? In this scenario, everyone would agree, right, that, uh, you know, that, that, of course, she has to get something from the husband's estate. So Toshma, so it starts off, Misha Lachla Medinan Hayam Bishtotova Atmizonot, Bine Kotnim Gedolim Omrim Tishava, Hanan Omer Lo Tishava, Vimbar Vamar Pasaki Lamizonot Naman. So they quote a Brisa, which is sort of similar to our Mishnah, the same Machlokas and Baal, right? The Bine Kohanim say she takes an oath, Hanan says she does not take an oath. And if he comes later on, right, the husband comes and he says, I, uh, I gave her money and she was left with sufficient funds. He's actually deemed credible. Then she would have to basically return all the money that she got from his estate to the court. So this is basically poses a problem for Shmuel because he maintains, right, that the court doesn't have to give her anything. Like this doesn't make sense. It doesn't mention anything about death. So what would they say? Right. So the Gemara would answer, what would Shmuel say? That this also just has to be a case where first they heard that he died, right? And then later he came back and he was like, oh, lo and behold, he actually was alive. Right? It's, he came after the rumor. So they basically go through, I think we counted six or seven Toshmas here um, that, you know, go through all different uh, other scenarios where essentially Shmuel has to explain how does his opinion uh, basically work. And what I think becomes very clear is Shmuel's p- opinion or version and understanding of the Mishnah becomes a little bit difficult to defend uh, because there's so many ways. Yes, he sort of goes back to this thing that, you know, it's just, it, it has to do with whether this was before he, she, you know, what, whether she got paid because she heard he died and then the husband come back or something changed with the facts on the ground. But the fact that there's so many different opportunities the Gemara has to argue with Shmuel, I think shows you that Shmuel's opinion is a little bit, uh, is a little bit difficult. And so then finally, after they go through all this, they go, my haba'ale, right? What's really the conclusion of all this? How do we actually treat this? So uh, they bring Rabdimi, right? That when he came, he tells a story between Rabbi and uh, Rabbi Yishmael. Um, and then there's, uh, there's a different, uh, a different sort of, uh, a different version of the story with Ravine, where he sort of uh, flips uh, Rabbi and Rabbi Yishmael. But ultimately, the Gemara says, The halacha has to go with, according to Rav, right? That we give, uh, we give sustenance to a married woman whose husband went overseas. It's not dependent on whether or not we hear that actually uh, her husband uh, actually had died or not, but but that, of course, she's obviously entitled to something. And then finally, just before the Mishnah, there's a very interesting sort of little side machlok that they get into this little, again, interesting tangent, because they were talking about Reb Zvid, that about these different types of vessels. Um, and they mentioned vessels that are earthenware vessels. We know once they become tame, they're just stuck being tame. You can't, there's no way to make them tahor. And here we learn 
that according to Rav Zavid with these glazed kunya vessels, right, right, that with the glazed vessels, the white and black ones are permitted. They actually, once they've been washed, the glazing that they have actually prevents them from absorbing anything so they cannot become tame. And the Yeruke Asure, but the green ones are forbidden because they actually, absolutely, they, uh, they absorb. So just a bizarre little tangent there, but that gets into a little bit too much hour. But but, oh, oh, but that but that detail about the glaze is part of why there's discussions nowadays over glass, right? Yes. Like the whole question over whether it's not about tumantara in this day and age. Of course, it's about basar it's meat and milk. Can your glass, you know, glasses, drinking glasses, be considered parav even if you're drinking milk in them? Will they absorb? It's exactly this question. Yes. So I think, right. So I think this has a very practical halacha piece to it. And that's why I wanted to mention it. You said it much better than me. Anne. But just to get back to the summary again. So, I, you know, essentially what this stuff is, is a series of, you know, refutations or, you know, arguments with Shmuel's opinion. Obviously, we end up poskening like Rub, but it's interesting how long the Gemara spends on trying to really examine very, very thoroughly Shmuel's opinion. That's our DAF discussion for the day. Thank you for joining us. Rank us, review us where you get your podcast. Come talk to us on our Facebook page and tell us what you think of this stuff. Thank you to Rabbi Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. And until tomorrow, go and learn. 